0: Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Well, today we're uh, we're talking about just a little bit of a light sort of topic. It's about betrayal. You know, I mean, it's just it's what we're all kind of hoping for today, right? Um, so, <laughs> I am looking forward to what I believe God's going to do through this. But we are looking at the biggest betrayal of all time today. But I thought as we would make our way towards that betrayal, we could think through what are some of these betrayals that have taken place, or maybe some of the the most famous betrayals of all time. Et tu Brute, Julius Caesar and his good friend Brutus, who betrayed him as he was stabbed. Uh, Benedict Arnold, the American revolutionary traitor that went back to the British. Cypher in the Matrix. Uh, I'm sure that's one you were thinking about. Y'all know Suge killed Tupac, right? And so there's that. Um, but really, Lando just kills me, you know? Inside, Lando Calrissian. I mean, this is when Han got turned into Carbonite. I mean, come on, that's not cool, right? And, but the really the biggest, other than the biblical one, the biggest traitor of all time, the Verizon guy. <laughs> this guy's the worst, Okay. So, this guy's the worst. Yeah, you just don't do this. This is not cool. But, uh, I mean, it depends how much I guess they pay you. But, uh, no. (laughs) I'm sure it was for 30 pieces of silver, just like this guy. Uh, So, we get to Judas, where uh, this is just such a brutal betrayal because of what you see in this image of being betrayed with a kiss from a friend. And it is such a brutal betrayal. Betrayal. And so I want to take us through this story. You can see on the screen how there's a lot of uh, different verses throughout Mark 14. If you want to grab a Bible, turn to Mark 14 in the New Testament, that second part of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you're looking for it. And then chapter 14 in this biography of Jesus that Mark wrote with uh what we what we know of this is that peter was mark's primary source of him telling him a lot of the things that happened and mark's writing it down and it's i think an interesting thing to think about especially as we read through some of these stories in chapters 14 and especially in chapter 14 because there's a lot of peter stuff going on here but um As we read through this, even to know, so we've been going through the book of Mark, right? We've just been doing little chunk by little chunk by little chunk of the entire book of Mark for almost the last year and a half. And we're doing some of these few stories here, as you can see, like, I I want us just to get the whole betrayal story, and then the whole denial story, and the whole uh, Last Supper story all in one, because Mark's almost written this, like, a a camera that's, you know, moving from scene to scene, and and you're kind of going back and forth, and he's setting up stuff early on, and then it's going to lead to another payoff later. And so that's what we see here, and you go to Mark 14, 1, and it says, now the Passover, and unleavened bread were two days away and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him for they were saying not during the festival otherwise there might be a riot of the people okay so you've got these religious leaders that want to kill Jesus they want to take him and kill him but they know they can't do it when they're around a bunch of people because the people might rise up and riot against them now we skip over then, we go through what we talked about last week was this, this next story in verses 3 to 8, where this woman breaks this vial of very, very costly perfume over Jesus, and then it says at the end of that, and Jesus, Jesus is saying this is a good thing, and then in verse 10, Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve... Kind of, as we read through, listen for little phrases that, that highlight the closeness of Judas to Jesus, okay? Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. They were glad when they heard this and promised to give him money. And he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. And so, it's, then it's just, we got a couple days later, now it's the first day of unleavened bread... And they're doing this Passover meal together. And then we go to verse 18. Because we'll talk about this Passover meal and the Lord's Supper next week. But 18, it says, As they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be grieved and say to him one by one, Surely not I. Even Judas says, surely not I. And then Jesus says to them, it is one of the twelve, one who dips with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And then we go through the rest of the Lord's Supper, as they then go out to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, and they're praying and falling asleep, and Jesus is praying, and not my will, but yours be done. And then we go to verse 41, while they're still there in the garden, and Jesus comes back to the disciples the third time and says to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It's enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. And then it says, immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs, who were from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. That's the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. Verse 44. Now, he who was betraying him had given them a signal, this prearranged signal, saying, Whomever I kiss—it's interesting, just even in the Greek of this word kiss here, it's actually just the Greek word phileo, which means love, brotherly love, to show—so he says, whoever I go and show affection or, or love towards, that's the one. We're going to know, uh, like, a verse later that it's a kiss. He says, Whomever I kiss, he's the one, seize him, and lead him away under guard. After coming— Judas immediately went to him, saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. They laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. And they all left him and fled. A young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body and They seized him, but he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked all right so we 've got this this whole story of this whole story of betrayal, rejection abandonment and we 're going to talk through uh, a little bit of this piece by piece and then kind of get into the heart of it, I believe but I think there's three types of betrayal happening here. One, I'm admitting, is kind of a stretch. It's really more of just a a way of kind of acting wrong. But three types of reactions. And if you have, I encourage you even for for this part and other parts, but we've got an outline in your bulletin if you want to look at that. Some things I'm going to breeze through pretty fast, but you can kind of check out a little bit more about it in there, and especially some of the cross-references of the things I'm saying. But there's this outright rejection from a close friend like Judas. So Judas has this just utter betrayal of Jesus. And first I was thinking a little bit of why? Why would Judas do this? I mean, he has been with Jesus for three years. He has been with him this whole time, and he's seen Jesus do all of his healings. He's seen him raise people from the dead. He's seen him forgive sin, and then he goes to betray him over over what? And so, uh, you know, some verses, and these are in there, some verses say it's because of greed, that Judas was greedy, and so that's why he did this. Some verses speak of satanic influence, okay? So influence from the enemy. And I, I think this part actually really helps me because I just, I sort of can't understand how someone could possibly do that, right? With everything they've seen and heard, all the moments that they've been in, and then to be able to betray this person. And, uh, and so I just, it helps me to kind of see that, okay, there was this satanic influence in his life. Some others say that uh, Judas was upset about how Jesus said things like... Um, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's, and that would imply that he agreed with the Romans taxing them and kind of coming down upon them, and he had sort of zealot-like tendencies, wanting Rome to be overthrown, and so when Jesus says, give to Caesar what Caesar's, he's like, well, forget this, I'm not part of this, I'm part of overthrowing Rome, not giving to Rome, and so he betrays Christ. That's, it's not in the text, but it's possible, and then others say it's like much more far-fetched, that jesus and judas were in on it together okay that uh there's some second century writings that talk about this well well uh beyond kind of the time of christ really far but um you know that that judas needed to help jesus fulfill his plan and even to help jesus get out of this fleshly body that was you know, what, we, what is sin and evil to be in these horrible bodies. And so him helping Jesus die and, and come back to life and rise up again would actually free him of his earthly body, is what these writings say. But you got to go back to Mark fourteen twenty one, where Jesus says, for the son of, um, where he says, "'Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he'd not been born.'" That doesn't really sound like what you would say to someone that was helping you in this, that you're in on it together. But these are some of those things that people think of, of why. I kind of tend to go up to the top of the list here. And then I would also think about, well, what in the world was Judas even providing for them? Like, how, like, how is he even helping them? Really, the, the main thing that Judas is providing, I think, for them is this sense of, hey, here's a quiet place away from the crowds. I'll be able to tell you where Jesus is so that you can arrest him without everybody rising up. And so that's the main thing. He might have given them some other kind of things that they could say at his trial, but really I think that's all he's providing. So you think about betraying the Son of God just to tell them a kind of convenient time and place to be able to arrest him. And so that's what's going on. And now what's interesting I think as you get a little bit more into the the heart of what's going on with Judas and what what Mark's trying to convey to us is that Mark is really trying to help us see this closeness that, that Jesus was betrayed by someone that was close to him. He repeats things over and over and over again about that. And he ignores some stuff. Mark ignores some stuff about this whole story that you just sort of can't even believe that he could leave out. He leaves out a scene that is talked about in John 18 where they ask him, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am. And it says they all fall back to the ground. Mark leaves that part out. You know, you're like, that's pretty amazing. Like, how do you just leave that part out? Mark also leaves out uh, Peter's name. He leaves out the name of the slave of the high priest that gets his ear chopped off. This dude, his name's Malchus. It's talks about it in the other Gospels. And this guy, and it, it doesn't mention Peter, which I first of all think is funny because Peter is the source for Mark. So maybe Mark, uh, Peter's like, I don't know, it's like some dude. I'm not sure who it was, but uh, uh, some guy, you know, some guy cuts off the guy's ear. And uh, he leaves out Peter's name, and then he also leaves out that Jesus put the guy's ear back on and heals him. Like, how do you leave that part out? What in the world, right? So Mark is focused, though, on a couple things. He's focused on this closeness. You see it as he says, one of the 12 over and over again. One who's eating with me. One who dips me uh, with me in the bowl. Whomever I kiss. And we see back in Psalm 41, nine, even my close friend in whom I trusted, Who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. So he's focused on this closeness, but he's also focused on how this has been God's plan. God's plan, not in collusion with Judas, but God's plan all along has been for Jesus to be betrayed, to be arrested, to be crucified, and then to be back to life again on the third day. And that has been, like, that—so it's interesting to see, I think, for me, of how Mark focuses in on these things very, very specifically while leaving out some, like, incredible details. And so he wants us to see this this closeness because I think it helps us to kind of see that human side of Jesus in the midst of this moment, to help him see the pain that comes in this moment for Jesus being betrayed by a close friend. But really, in this moment, he's not just betrayed by— by Judas, everybody bails. Okay, in the midst of this moment, everybody runs away. They don't stay. It's a just a painting of the scene of, of what all of the chaos that's happening, and who some people think this young man in the linen is. Is some people think this is actually Mark himself as he runs away. We don't totally know that for sure. There's some little bit of breadcrumbs to get there, but we're not totally positive about that. But that they all just leave him. Okay, in the midst of this moment where he's being arrested, they all leave. And so Jesus is being abandoned. And maybe at times, maybe you haven't been outright betrayed, maybe you have. But you've probably felt like at times that everybody's just sort of left you, right? Everybody's abandoned you. The people aren't really with you that you thought were your friends. They didn't stand by. And Peter, we're going to talk about it, Peter ends up denying he even knows Jesus just a couple hours later. Then there's uh, this whole thing where I just kind of call inappropriate action, like Peter, okay? Because Peter is just a little, (laughs) like he typically is, like he just speaks when he shouldn't, he says the stuff he shouldn't, he gets himself into trouble. And in this moment, Peter just pulls out a sword and just goes to chop somebody, you know, just, I'm just going to fight. But (laughs) when you look at who he fights, Peter doesn't fight one of the soldiers, he doesn't fight somebody with a club or a sword, or he doesn't fight uh, one of the religious leaders that might be there. He just chops the slave of the high priest's ear off. You're like, dude, like, what did this guy do? He's probably just hanging out there trying to help out or whatever, doing his job. He's a slave. And we're also thinking about how does he— chop his ear off, but he doesn't like chop into his shoulder or like chop half his head off or something, you know, I don't know. So I kind of, this is how I imagine it, right? I imagine it that Peter's mad, he pulls out the sword, and he's going to go try to like chop his head off move, and then Malchus ducks like this, <laughs> kind of does this move, and then it, ah, so anyway, that's, <laughs> that's my weird like mind as I'm reading the text, but <laughs> It's just like, man, you just go chopping at people. Like, settle down, right? You don't need to just start freaking out in this moment. And Jesus chills everybody out and is like, no, this is all happening so the scriptures can be fulfilled. And so I ask, like, how do we act in the face of opposition to Christ? Or in the face of betrayal? Or in the face of struggle? Do we kind of just act out like Peter and kind of just act out inappropriately and just do kind of crazy stuff? Or... Do we bail? Do we run away? Do we ignore? Do we just kind of, do we have a sense of being ashamed even of Christ and not letting it be known that we are one of his followers? Or do we outright betray and reject him like Judas? Or do we accept the plan that Christ has and take the steps towards whatever it is that the will of God has us on? I don't know, I want you to think about that for yourself a little bit. And as we consider those things, we think about how Jesus, what's so amazing is that Jesus identifies with us, the way that he identifies with us in his betrayal. That Jesus was betrayed by this, this good friend, this friend that he'd been with for three years, pouring himself, you know, pouring himself into this guy. I mean, I don't know if you've had people where you've like, okay, I'm gonna i have a person that i'm mentoring or a few people that i'm helping or people at work or in the church or whatever and it's like this person that you've really just spent so much time with every single day for three years ends up betraying him and jesus knows then jesus knows the hurt of that he knows what you feel when you're betrayed by a friend you you need to consider kind of like okay what's What's going on in my life and my heart as as we go through this story? What's been my story? What are the ways that I've been betrayed by a close friend in the course of my life? I remember one story from my dad, where uh, my dad started this ministry, this nonprofit that was uh, this like in the early seventies, and it was a, a a series of group homes that took care of, of teenagers and kids from that were had been abused or had been out of juvenile hall or had were pregnant teenage girls or kids on drugs that were coming out of that and it was also a um they also had a foster family agency within all of that and they started all that and my mom was a child care social worker within that time until she became a marriage family therapist and so this was like their their heart and passion and it was growing and then the board um over time, uh, came to my dad and said they wanted to take this ministry from a non-profit to a for-profit, and my dad was like, no, no way, this is, we are not doing this for profit, we all get salaries, sure, but we're not doing this for profit, we are doing this uh, as a ministry, and he said, no, I won't do that, and they continued to press him until it came to the point of ultimatum, and my dad said, no, I won't, and so they fired him uh, from the ministry that he had started. And that was just, like, for him, utter betrayal by these people who were partners and friends and people that he knew that chose to go for profit and betray, Well, he felt that betrayal from them. And I remember watching that as a kid and just being really struck by how, like, hurtful something like that can be. And so maybe that's in a work environment for you, or maybe that's in your marriage. Maybe that's from a friend that you thought was a friend but has betrayed you and to know that jesus himself knows what it feels like to be abandoned to be betrayed to have to be treated in this kind of way and jesus also he knows that if you've been the betrayer you've wronged someone he hasn't done that but jesus knows that guilt and shame he knows that you're feeling that and he wants to meet you in the midst of that that he gives you grace upon grace for that just consider that where you are in the midst of all of this i i honestly don't feel like i've had to experience massive betrayal in my life you know had girls break up with me in high school or whatever but you know (laughs) but um but like i know it's it's interesting it's kind of an odd being a pastor is a weird thing and being a person that's uh like a year ago or a, little over a year and a half ago when you're sort of running for pastor, you know? Uh, and and in the midst of all of that time, and I, I, I knew in the midst of that time that people, some people thought it was a good idea and some people didn't. And I'm like, you know, at some level, I'm not naive, I get that, it's great, it's fine, no problem. Um, and it's even no problem when there are people that you don't know that well or you haven't been close with, but when you found out of, or when I would find out of a couple of people that I just I knew and I liked and enjoyed and that they didn't like that idea and would leave. And that was like, you know, that just, that hurts. You understand it. Just because you understand something doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. And even if it's really not like utter betrayal, it can feel like that for us. And so we, we come into this from all sorts of different sets of experiences and what we've each gone through. But for us to know this moment that Jesus was betrayed— is such a moment that the God of the universe, that feels so huge and transcendent, that the God of the universe knows intimately what it feels like to have that kind of hurt from a close friend. And that he loves you deeply in the midst of that. And what's so sort of next level about Jesus is the way that he responds to betrayal. He says this, This has taken place so the scriptures may be fulfilled. In the midst of this moment, in the midst of swords and clubs and ears flying off and stuff, Jesus says, this has taken place so the scriptures may be fulfilled. He's got his eyes on the plan, on the will of God. He's come out of the time of praying in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. I mean, he just got done saying those words, and then this happens. So he's got his eyes... On the cross, where he knows he's going, and he's accepting God's will, and knowing that the plan of God is what may ta- must take place. If you uh, if you think back to Genesis, the first book in the Bible, it's interesting as you consider a guy named Joseph. Joseph, well, Jesus, first of all, betrayed by one of the twelve, one of the, his twelve disciples, Joseph. Is betrayed by one of his brothers who represent his brothers, are the 12 tribes of Israel. And so he's betrayed by one of his brothers, sold into slavery. That's a pretty big betrayal, okay? To be thrown in a hole in the ground and then sold to be a slave into Egypt. You get sent to Egypt, but it happens that you rise up in the the nation of Egypt, the empire of Egypt, and now he's second in command of this whole empire, and then now his brothers come to him and are begging for food, basically, uh, before him, and he reveals who he is to them, and he says this line. He says this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about the present result, to preserve many people alive. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And I think that's, it's amazing how that parallels to Christ. Judas, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And God is now fulfilling his ultimate plan and purpose in that moment. I've listed out for you even just a bunch of verses, even in Mark showing how this betrayal is all part of god's plan you can kind of look through there in chapter three chapter eight chapter nine chapter 10 and then here in 14 of how god has been how and mark god through mark has been showing you kind of again these breadcrumbs throughout this whole biography of how he was going to be betrayed Um, so for us just in that being in the will of god is the sweet spot for us No matter what kind of suffering, no matter what kind of pain, no matter what kind of betrayal that we're going through. All right, this is going to take a little bit of a turn here. And I want you to kind of like lean in for a moment here, okay? Like just, if you've been drifting off and you're thinking about lunch, you know, lean in and let's think about, let's think about this moment. Because I do, I believe that this is a moment for you, between you and God, right here and right now. What happens next in in the story of Judas is that Judas kills himself. Judas takes his own life. And listen, the blood of Jesus would have paid for Judas' sins, okay? But Judas pays for his sins himself. He chooses to do that in this moment. Judas thinks he should pay when Christ says I have paid for your sin. And some of you may have thought of thoughts of suicide in your life. Probably the vast majority of us what we do is we pay for our sins with daily installments over time. Okay? We pay for our sins with our guilt, with our shame, With beating ourselves up over who we are or who we're not. Maybe we're even trying to do good works just to try and earn our way back into God's favor. And we think that we can pay for our sins ourselves. We think that we can cover our sins ourselves. And Jesus says, Only my blood, only my death and resurrection can cover your sins. You cannot pay for it. And so, guess what? I have paid for it. I'm paid for it for you. And now I offer it to you as a gift. So don't go try to pay for it yourself when you can't. You can't possibly. So don't let your betrayal, the ways that you've maybe betrayed someone in this life, or the ways that you've betrayed God or betrayed Christ in this life, don't let any of that cause you to reject the grace, the unending grace, the free gift of grace and salvation that Jesus offers to you. And stop trying to pay for your sins yourself. Because you can't. You cannot do it. Your guilt will not heal you. Okay? Your shame will not heal you your good deeds will not heal you none of that will and so we're all probably on a like a crazy spectrum of how much this affects us up to the point of judas right and then up to the point of just beating ourselves up all the time so i want to challenge us today to say to say no to that to say no to trying to pay for our own sins to say no to trying to earn our forgiveness to say no to trying to heal the hurt that's in our heart from when we've been betrayed by other people. We can't heal that pain ourselves. Only God could heal that pain that we feel. And so what I want to encourage and challenge you to do today is to say, God, I know I can't pay for my sins. And so I just, as a symbol of that, as we go into this time of worship, to to come forward, to stand up and to come forward and to be on your knees before God to say, God, I can't, I can't pay for my sins. I, I need you to pay for it. To recognize that, to kneel before him in that. To say, I can't earn my forgiveness. And so to come forward and, and kneel or come to the prayer points and pray with someone to ask God for his forgiveness of sin. To recognize that, okay, God, I can't heal this this hurt that's, that's in me, this deep hurt that I have experienced from the ways that people have betrayed me in this life. I can't heal it. So to come and kneel and say, Lord, heal me, or to come and pray with someone about that. So let's pray together now. I encourage you to come. Almighty God, we come before you now in this moment. I pray that we would recognize that this is a moment that you have for each one in this room. And Lord, I pray that if we have been trying to pay for our sin, if we've been trying to earn our forgiveness, if we've been trying to heal ourselves, God, I pray that we would invite your Holy Spirit in to stir within us and to heal us of the hurt and the shame of the guilt that is in our lives. And may you give us hope beyond hope that it's only, only from you. That the lives that we live are so valuable because of you, God. I pray, Lord, that as we come forward, as we re- take communion, as we remember what you've done for us, we'd be struck by that. And as we kneel before you here today, Lord, may you do a deep work in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen.